Hey, listen, uh, they really wanted to uh, bless you in that. They're part of our church family, uh, both of them for years, and they just really wanted to do that. But also, it's a way for us to remind ourselves that when Jesus calls us to follow after him, he brings us into an international community. He calls us family, and the way our family looks is as diverse as the world is. And as a people today, we are uh, kicking off a study called God's Heart for the World. And listen, this is so important for me personally, I know for many of you, as we see a lot of the division and the chaos and the hate that exists in our own community, in our own nation. Many of you are from places uh, uh, and have uh, migrated to America, and you've seen it in your own countries. For those of us who are, are here, we see it in our own country, that the natural tendency of the human heart is to tear each other apart. And Jesus says, no, if you're going to be my disciple, you are part of an international cosmic community bound together in love and grace. And as a church family, we are studying not only uh, how God calls us to serve this city, but how God is calling us, each as individual followers of him, as well as a church family, how he's calling us to serve those around the world. We as a church family, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about stewardship, uh, mainly recognizing that everything we have is a gift from God, our time, our energy, our money, our resources. And we see that our role is not primarily as consumers, but primarily our relationship to our resources is that of steward, that we are to deploy and invest and put into activity the resources that God has given to us. And we believe that that is for each one of us, we also believe that that is for us as a church. And so as a church family, we have uh, for many years been committed to investing 10% of our uh, general fund into strategic partnerships outside of this organization. Many, uh, much of those dollars are invested in God's work around the world. And today we actually have a great opportunity for you to learn more about how God is using our church family and our partners all around the world, world, in places like South America, the Middle East, uh, uh, Central Asia. And today, after our second service, so roughly about 12.15, we're going to be hosting a lunch for y'all over in the student center. The, the, the team's got a great meal prepared for you. And they're going to have a handful of uh, brief um, uh, 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 presentations about uh, our ministry partners for you to learn more about how we as a church family are investing in what God is doing all around the world. You'll learn more about like Ted and Gracie Kiocha who gave us the call to worship today. I would love to have you join us. I know that you'll be encouraged and blessed. It'll be in the student center, 1215. Even if you haven't signed up, just swing on by. We'd love uh, to have you join us there. And if you've got little ones, bring them with you. Uh, by the way, this like solves a huge question you've got for today, which is where am I going to eat. That's what we're all about here at Desert Springs. The love of God as, it made, as it's made known through food. And so we will see you over in the student center. The other thing too, um, and many of you know this, many of you, this may be even just your first time thinking about uh, like strategic partners around the world or missionaries. Uh, I'm going to ask everyone who calls Desert Springs their church home to do something for me. In the back of the seat in front of you, we've got a piece of paper that looks like this. It says DSBC strategic partners on the top. You guys would grab that. Even if you're not going to take it today, just grab it so your neighbor next to you doesn't judge you. I know most of the people in this room, a lot of them are super judgy. Uh, so if you want to grab that, and here's what I'm going to ask us to do. Uh, and, and just I, I really want you guys putting eyes on that, but eyes on me just right quick. For many of our partners, 
that serve around the world, they have left the comforts that you and I experience by, being a, by still living in a place that we were raised, in a community that we're familiar with all of the customs and the language, and many have left those comforts compelled by the grace and love of Jesus to take the good news of Jesus through word and through deed to places where, in some cases, you can be killed just for believing in Jesus. And it can, listen, it can get kind of lonely. And it can be super discouraging where you're, where you're praying and you're working. And one of the things that we want to be about as a church family is not only praying for our strategic partners that serve around the world, but also encouraging. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. If you call Desert Springs your church home, you'll notice there's seven of our partners there. I'm going to ask you that starting today, through the rest of the week, that you would pick one of the partners every day, that you would pray for them specifically. You don't have to go in order. You can go however you want. But we've got seven, seven days in the week. Pick one, pray for them, and then here's, here's the double down. You'll notice that we've given you their email address. I'm going to ask that you would email them a note of encouragement, even if it's just simply to say, hey, we pray. I'm at Desert Springs. Uh, maybe we haven't met before. I just want you to know that I love you. You're part of our church family. Prayed me and my, you know, for my wife and I, it's going to be like me and my wife and my 18 kids. We prayed for you, four, four kids. We prayed for you uh, today. And even just something simple like that, or if you really wanted to like go crazy, you could say something like this. Is there anything in particular you would like for me or my family or my community group to pray for and then commit that to prayer? Uh, they would love to hear from you. Please, please, please. It can be so lonely. And, and, and I'm going to ask, the reason we print it out and hand it to you, I'm going to ask that you like set a reminder even or just make sure Friday doesn't come and you're like, oh, dang, I forgot. And so I'm going to ask that you would take that home uh, today. And then, of course, join us at the lunch. And you can learn about all of these uh, partners uh, at the lunch. Why on earth would we as a church family commit 10% to uh, partnerships that serve around the world? Why would we uh, even spend time talking about it? And, th and here's the, the fundamental truth. We as a church family believe that we are not isolated individuals, just random materialistic consumers wandering around trying to, to get our spiritual fill. We recognize that we are all part of a cosmic story that Jesus is writing, and he's using his local church all around the world to write that story. You and I are participating in, we find ourselves in the middle of, a cosmic story. Now, some of you may be familiar with this. Uh, I know many of us aren't, but if you just read through the Bible, which can be like a super daunting task, right? How many of you guys have ever tried like the whole read a Bible in the year plan? And right around February, right around Leviticus, you're like, nope. <laughs> this was a huge mistake. Um, I actually don't encourage people to do Bible in a year. I think you should take a lot longer and read it a lot slower. It's going to make a lot more confusion. Did you see what I said there? Uh, if we read it too quickly, sometimes we misunderstand what it means, and then we, like, open the Bible, and it's like, slay the Amalekites, and we just start walking around. <laughs> Where are the Amalekites, right? Got to read it slow. But as you read through the scriptures, one of the things that you'll see is that we are a part of a four part story, the four-part story of the cosmos. Uh, we think about it like this as a church family, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, creation. But people made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, this is crazy to me. God is a delegating God. He delegates authority, responsibility. He empowers and resources people, of all people, to go out into the world and make it like the garden. You have that in Genesis 1 and 2, but in Genesis 3, one of the things that you'll find is the next part of the story. 
What's it called? Fall. Creation. Fall. Why do we call it fall? Well, because people made in the image and likeness of God gave God the finger and said, you're not the God, I'm the God. And some of us are aghast at the fact that I just said gave God the finger. It's exponentially more disgusting, horrifying, violent, and than that, to rebel against your creator. And so that feeling you feel inside when you're like, I can't believe pastor said that, I can't believe we all did that. We said, no, God, you're not God, right? All the power that you've delegated to us, all the resources that you have entrusted to us, instead of using it to build your kingdom, I want to be like you. In fact, I want just instead to be like you, I want to replace you. Oh, and we look down on the characters of Adam and Eve as we see them in Genesis 3, but who among us hasn't looked in the mirror every morning for our entire lives and had to make the decision, who's God today? Because for most of us, It's the one looking right back at us in the mirror. Creation, fall. And you see in the fall, uh, you see in Genesis 1, uh, 2, creation, Genesis 3, the fall. And then you see, and this is wonderful, you see the spiraling out of control effects of evil on the human heart. Oh, you get stories like Cain and Abel. How many of y'all ever heard of them? Yeah, I read it to my kids when they're disobedient, right? Like, Cain and Abel. And then after Cain and Abel, you get like, it, it just spirals even more out of control. You get this person named Lamech who like brags about killing people and says, what's God going to do to me? And then you get like the whole Noah story, which I would not recommend reading to your kids before bedtime. It's absolutely horrifying. We're like reading it to our kids before bed, a little giraffe sticking out. But what you're not seeing is all the people clawing on the side, right? So I actually made some for my kids. I just an add on to their... <laughs> They got the little plush Noah's Ark thing, and then I'd put all the little, you know, the Philistines. They're like, ah, it wasn't Philistines. And then it spirals out of control even more, and it ends this section of Genesis in Genesis 11, where you have and in all the peoples of the earth who should know better, combining all of the resources and all of the power that's been delegated to them to corporately give God the finger. We call it the Tower of Babel, or or actually a better translation would be the Tower of Babylon. It's basically saying, all of this earth, God, we're going to take all of the the stuff that you've delegated to us and we're going to use it to make our own name great. And so God scatters the nations. And then you have in Genesis 11 this really critical moment, right here between fall and redemption. Either the story ends there, option one, or option two, God's going to do something That's not destroy everybody, but some other type of work, a work of grace, and he does it. In Genesis 12, you see, beginning with the story of Abraham, God selecting a people group, he selects Abraham and Sarah and says to them, through you, I'm going to make a great nation so that you can bless all the nations of the earth. I'm not going to bless you, I'm not going to delegate authority to you, I'm not going to resource you so that you can simply build your own kingdom Through you, I'm going to bless all the nations who are far from me. And then the nation rises up, and you finish out uh, the book of Genesis with the story of, like, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Some of you guys saw that. It was on Broadway for a little bit. That wasn't the real Joseph. Spoiler. And then in Exodus, Charlton Heston. (laughs) In Exodus, Moses... Uh, one of the things that you recognize is the people of God who are, who are being built up so that they can be a blessing to all the nations are actually held captive by the Egyptians. Plot conflict. Everyone's gasping. Yeah. How, how are we going to be a blessing to all the nations if we're in captivity? 
And so you see God redeeming his people out of Egypt, saving them from the slave owners that were oppressing them. You guys with me so far? And then they're wandering about the desert, this people that God has formed to be a blessing to all the nations, but they're wandering around in the desert in rebellion, and they're constantly saying things like this, where are you, God? Are you with us or not? Because I thought we were supposed to be made great so that we could bless all the other nations, but I thought we were supposed to be made great. And then God answers that question in a variety of different ways, but one of the most vivid ways is they're saying, God, are you going to show up? Are you going to be with us, God? And you know how God answers that question? He actually shows up in a way that could communicate to them his presence by showing up as a pillar of fire, hot fire, a pillar of fire. And then one of the things that you see as you read through the narrative is that the pillar of fire actually makes its presence known. Primarily, it rests in the people in this one place, the the tabernacle, which is another way of saying like the portable temple. Because again, they were like wandering about. And so the tabernacle was the portable temple. And the pillar would descend. The pillar of fire would do what? You say, God, are you with us? God says yes. How does he say yes? Shows up in a pillar of and descends on the tabernacle or temple. Okay, good. You guys are with me so far. Creation, fall, redemption. Then, many years later, through that people who uh, gained a nation, then lost the nation, and it was in that moment of weakness that Jesus, God in the flesh, shows up. And it was through that people group that Jesus is is born into that family, Abraham's family. And it was Jesus who embodies the grace of God. And in dying on a Roman cross, We sang about it just a moment ago. On a hill he created, he died. And he died paying the penalty, the wages of our rebellion. When each one of us give the finger to God, God has a choice. Destroy him because I'm just or redeem him because I'm gracious and loving. And in Jesus, you have that tension answered. And for everyone who turns to Jesus, we are received. Who repents from their sin and turns to Jesus, we are saved or redeemed. And then three days later, after dying on a Roman cross, Jesus Christ rose from the grave, conquering over Satan's sin and death. And standing victorious in the presence of his followers, he looked his followers in the eye. Some people call them disciples. He looked them in the eye and he said, you go and make disciples of all the people that you like and that line up with your prejudices. And only be in a church family where everyone agrees with you. Is that what he said? He looked him in the eye. The risen Christ conquered over Satan, sin, and death. And he says, you, go and make disciples. Of who, Jesus? Okay, remember like the fall and then the promise of redemption was through this people group and through this people group called Israel, there would be a blessing to who? Just the nations you like? There would be a blessing to all nations. You, Jesus says, you, 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 my followers, you go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. Oh, there is this other thing he says, baptizing them in the name, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then Jesus ascended into heaven, and he promised that one day he would return to make all that which is broken whole again. And it's in the midst of that story. We are right now between redemption and restoration. 
And the story could be summed up like this. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. The story of the cosmos could be summed up like this. Jesus tolerates you. Wait, is that right? Jesus is expecting you to get your act together so finally you could be loved by the eternal God. No. Jesus, you. And baptism is an outward expression of that inward reality. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I actually got to baptize my two older kids. I brought a picture because I'm a proud dad and, and that's just tough, you know. Uh, one of the conversations I had with my, my two older kids before uh, they were baptized is, do you know that this is more than about being on stage and it's more than about getting in the pool? Do you know that Jesus loves you? Michaela, Isaiah, do you know that even in the midst of your imperfections, Jesus loves you? And you are a part of a bigger story than just the one that we make up for ourselves in this moment. You are a part of a cosmic story. And listen, when it comes to baptism, I want you guys to know that at Desert Springs Bible Church, we have a really firm policy on baptism, and, and that's this. We, we, you know, we do our best to make sure people get in, and we make sure that they go under, but our 100% policy is that we bring you out. <laughs> firm on that. And here's why. Because God ain't done with you yet. Because you're a part of a bigger story than just getting saved. In fact, I'm going to argue According to my understanding of the scripture, God never saves someone without sending them. You go make disciples. You go make disciples. And so another way to think through the story is, well, Caleb, that didn't sound like the whole summation of the story because we're saying Jesus loves you. Now what? I'm glad you asked that question. You will see in the book of Acts, chapter 2, a bit of a glimpse of the now what, and a little bit of how the, the earliest followers of Jesus understood the transforming power of Jesus to actually impact and shape their lives. Uh, so there's a, 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 a P.S., spoiler alert, there's a ton of weird stuff in here. If it makes you feel uncomfortable, good. If you think the Bible is supposed to make us feel comfortable, you haven't read the Bible. It's very disconcerting. Now, there's, it's pointing to Jesus, who is our great comfort and hope. But if we're constantly comfortable every time we're reading the scriptures, it may not actually be working right, which means we might not be reading it right. So, so if you're uncomfortable with some of this stuff, good, me too. I had to be reading it like for, since early this morning or maybe for the last month. Acts 2, 1 through 3. When the day of Pentecost, TV time out, Pentecost kind of sounds weird. It's basically a festival for the Jewish people celebrating the harvest, Right? All the food grows up, we can eat the food, what should we do? Yay! Right? What's Pentecost? It's a holiday, it's a feast. But it's one of the, I think, three uh, holidays where Jews would actually descend into Jerusalem. It was one of those pilgrimage-type holidays. You know, uh, you've got those too, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas, where you're like, where are we going to go? That's a pilgrimage holiday. You with me? It's a pilgrimage holiday. When the day of... 
Pentecost had arrived. They were all together in one place. This is the followers of Jesus. Suddenly, a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw... You guys said that so good. I'm so proud of you. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And everyone said, that's weird. And you're right, it is weird. But do you remember the story that we're all a part of? The four-part story of the cosmos, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You guys remember? No, no. We, it was five minutes ago. You guys remember. You guys remember this four-part story of the cosmos, creation, fall, redemption, restoration? Okay, remember, right after the fall, we talked about how sin spiraled out of control. We got to like the Tower of Babylon and all that business. Then we talked about the promise of redemption. And then we talked about the people of God through whom all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. Do you remember that? Do you remember they were wandering around in the desert saying, God, where are you? Do you remember how God showed up to alert them that he was present with them? That he was empowering them to do their mission? Some of y'all see where I'm going. Do you remember the way that he showed up and his presence appeared as a pillar of? And it descended on the tabernacle or the portable, the portable temple. And this is really fascinating. If you read through the scriptures in the Newer Testament, one of the things that you're going to see is this, is this statement is made about followers of Jesus. Your body is the temple. Your body is the temple of God's spirit. In, in the time of the Exodus, the pillar descended and stayed on top of what? The portable temple. And here now you get this moment where, where small pillars of fire rest above the portable tabernacle or the portable temple. You with me? Because all of these followers of Jesus heard him say, you go make disciples. And they all said, how? How will we have the power to do it? The day of Pentecost. Jesus' spirit shows up. Every one of those followers of Jesus at that time were, probably had Exodus memorized. They would have immediately known, oh, this isn't weird. This is wonderful. This, Jesus, is, Jesus is true. He's doing something right now among, among us. He's, he's in our midst. The spirit of God is living and active, and here he is. And we don't have to go to temple to point to him. He's right here in my body. You with me? Now, by the way, this is one of the reasons why Jesus said he had to leave physically. is so his spirit could indwell everyone who follows him. Go, you, go, make disciples. How am I supposed to do it? The presence of God. The spirit of God is within you. How do you know? The tongue of fire told you. It's also interesting, too, he uses the tongue as the language instead of saying, like, mini pillar. Uh, and you'll see it here in the next uh, text, uh, uh, four through six. Then they were all filled with the... Holy Spirit, and began to speak in? Yeah, so that's another way to say different languages, right? So it's interesting that Luke, the author of Acts, uses the word tongue. He's probably doing something coy here for us, the, the reader. Began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled him. By the way, this group of people were predominantly not, they were kind of known for not being super educated. And so this was like very cosmopolitan. You're bilingual, now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from, oh, I love this. Luke makes a point to tell us here. Remember that feast? What was that feast called? Pente Pentecost, right? And it was one of those traveling holidays where people would descend into Jerusalem. And where did they come from? 
the radiation under heaven. In fact, if you go to Acts 2, you'll actually see a list. Uh, it's kind of a, 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 a model of where everyone came from. Every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in their, in their own language. How is it that we are to go into all the world and make disciples? Notice that the nations came to them. Did you guys catch that? And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this like unfettered. That should shape your view of immigration policy. Oh, no, he didn't. We're supposed to leave politics aside because Jesus is just in my spiritual box. Oh, no. If, if we are all participating in the four-part story of the cosmos, then this shapes everything. Now, did I tell you my opinion on your views of immigration policy? Did I tell you that? Did I say that? Did, did anyone hear me say what I think, how I think you should vote? No. What I said was, is that this should shape it. And then you got to do the work, right? By the way, if you want to know the right way to vote, email me. I'll tell you. I just <laughs> totally do that. If you throw me 50 bucks, I'll actually, you know, I'll actually give you the cheat sheet. I'm not going to do that. Okay. How do we communicate God's love to people? One of the ways that you see here is through word. One of the things that you see throughout the book of Acts is through self-sacrificial service. It may not be that God gives us the capacity to speak another language to someone, but I know this. Everyone in this room can speak the universal language of self-sacrificial service. I'm going to ask my friend uh, Mike Carson to join me up here. We have an opportunity as a church family to put this into practice. Uh, last year, I got to go uh, with Mike and about 50 folks from Desert Springs to Rocky Point, Mexico, to build a home for a family in need. We're headed back there in November, and Mike is a part of the board of the team called I-68 that's going to lead us there. Uh, Mike, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so, Mike, uh, we're talking about sending a team down to Rocky Point again this November. What is the point? Oh, the point is to serve a family in need, a poor family in need, by building a house. Okay. Uh, but the point is bigger than that. The point is to ask God to show you something new, to maybe expand your perspectives on people, on cultures, mm -hmm. in a way that maybe that you've never experienced before. That's so cool. And so uh, one of the things I love about the I-68 ministry is it's not actually primarily about building homes. It's not. Uh, it's primarily about building relationships. It's, it's about building relationships. It's about the gospel. We don't just go down there and, and build a house and then leave. There's a ministry team that lives in Rocky Point. It's a mixture of uh, local Mexicans as well as Americans that have gone down there to live and serve. And so there's a real community of believers who uh, grow together and minister to the community. That's so cool. I know that for us, we like walked from the I-68 like houses over to the house that we were building. It's in the neighborhood. So it's not a bunch of people just flying in and then leaving. It's incarnational ministry, so to speak. Exactly. They, like I said, they live... They live in the barrio, and they serve in the barrio, and, and in fact, some of the people for whom we've built houses for are now actually serving in the That's ministry. So cool. That's so cool. So um, what's it like, like, right? Like, is it laborious and lame and, like, sad? Not, not in the least. It's, it's actually fun. Oh, okay. Um, it's safe. Uh, it's very connected. Hold on. What was the first thing you said? Fun. Before that? After that? S safe. Safe. Yeah, I took my kids. FYI. And they Keep did going. fine. They did great, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's very connecting. We, we obviously connect with each other because we go out down on this 
three and a half day trip. Um, we all caravan down there um, together and we connect with the ministry team down there. And we also connect with the people for whom we're building and mm. the, the, the neighbors, the kids. It's amazing. That's You'd so be cool. surprised how connecting it could be, even if you have no construction skills, even if you have no Spanish language skills. That's great. You can still connect. So we're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to work really hard. We're going to play hard. We're going to spend time with the community there. Uh, there are many of us here who are like, ah, I don't know. I've got a lot of questions. What would you say to them? Uh, well, there's a lot of people from this uh, body of believers here at Desert Springs that have gone on trips over the years. So find one of those people. And one of the best ways to find one is to come to a meeting that we're having two weeks from today. Awesome. The 18th. It's an informational meeting after second service. And you can ask questions. You can talk to folks that have been there and done it and, and get a feel for what it might be like and, and should you go. That's so cool. Now, I68, that's kind of a weird name. What does that mean? It's a reference to a uh, uh, Bible verse, Isaiah 6, 8, uh, where God is asking who will go. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Mm. I think that verse can apply to all of us to one degree or another. Absolutely. And I think that's even what we're seeing here in the book of Acts is we're thinking about who's going to be the one to go and make disciples. And Isaiah says in, in Isaiah 6, 8, me, I'm here. Exactly. Would you guys give it up for Mike? Right. Thanks so much, David. Hey, check out, I, I just, even if you're not sure, I mean, you got a ton of questions. I know exactly how you feel. Come on the 18th in the Student Center, 1230. We'd love to just share with you a little bit more about the trip. I'm excited about taking my kids uh, again this year. In fact, something my wife and I have talked about is this is something we hope to do every year. Uh, just not only the impact to see the blessing in the life of the family, but for me as a dad, watching the change in my kids has been huge. And so as I try to pastor my kids, this has been such a helpful opportunity. And so the, let's, let's just remind ourselves, the story of the universe can be summed up in this way. Jesus loves you, and then this. Jesus also loves, yeah, including the people that you don't like. Who does Jesus love? Remember the story of the cosmos. He intends to bless, through his people, he intends to bless whom? All the nations, all peoples of the earth. In fact, Read the book, of, the end of the book uh, called Revelation, and one of the things that you'll see is in the new heavens and the new earth, all the nations are bringing their glory before God. And we get to be a part of that as a local church family now. Jesus loves you, and Jesus loves them. And let's take a look. In Acts chapter 1, this is Jesus actually speaking. Remember I said uh, Jesus gave his uh, disciples a commissioning? You go make disciples. Here, here I, I just want to prove it to you. How will we get the power to do this? This is Acts 1.8. Uh, but you uh, highlighted it for you and then I did the, this move so that you would know to signify you're going to say it out loud back to me but we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on and will be so are you for those of you that follow Jesus are you To one degree of faithfulness or the other, we are. We are bearing witness. To one degree of faithfulness or the other, we are mirroring. Just like the nation was built up to bless all the nations, so too we have been built up as portable temples. Mirroring to a dead and dying world the glory, grace, love, power, and wisdom of God. We are bearing witness. 
to one degree of faithfulness or the other. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And once there's colonies on Mars, there too, baby. And Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves them. And let me get real personal. Because inside the them is people that God's put in your life right now who have yet to know him. Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves them. Have you told them yet? Oh, but I'm not ready. I don't know what to say. You can do this. There's something more to the universe than just consumerism. There's a four-part story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And even if that escapes you at the time, that's fine, because you can tell them this story. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves them. Have you told him yet? Well, right now in this moment, for every follower of Jesus, I believe that the Spirit is speaking to us, the person or people that he's called us to tell. Will you bear witness? Don't you know? Oh, how on earth will we have the power to do it? Don't you know that the Spirit of God dwells within you? See, he never saves us without sending us, and he never sends us without equipping us. Jesus loves you, now what? As a church family, we want to help you take next steps. This is not just something we want to talk about. This is something we actually want to do. You'll see this graphic all over the place on our campus. We want to help you take your next step as a disciple of Jesus. And there's one in particular, and that's namely reaching out. And I just want to walk through maybe three or four ways that as you're thinking through what does it look like to bear witness, to, to go and make disciples, there's, there's maybe three key ways. The first one is support missionaries that go. Uh, that letter that we shared uh, just a moment ago, right? Pray for, encourage, equip, support our cross-cultural missionaries, those that serve all around the world. A second one is this, invite a friend to Desert Springs. Listen, I, I need you guys to hear me on this. I don't care what local church they end up in as long as it's a price-proclaiming church. Desert Springs may not be the best fit, so if you're like, ah, the music, ah, you know, you, you're thinking... Uh, they, they're not really, it's going to be a stumbling block. Great, take them to another. We, we are a part of an amazing network of local churches here in North Phoenix. And so whether it's La Casa de Cristo uh, or Bell Road Assemblies of God or Harvest or Heritage or any other H church that you can think of, Paradise Community Church, wherever it is, my heart is that they would see Jesus proclaimed in the context of Christ-centered community. So I put DSBC on here, but just, just get them in the context of a community of believers. Y'all with me on that? All right. Third, share your story with others. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves them. Have you told them yet? One of the best ways to tell them is to tell them your story. How has Jesus impacted you? Oh, and by the way, oh, I've got to say this. Oh, man. I'm going to talk to the Americans for a minute. We have so sensationalized what it means to start following Jesus that many of us who have been following Jesus since my kid's age feel ashamed that their testimony isn't sexy enough. That's a bunch of crap. To have faithful parents who've been following Jesus, who have nurtured you towards Jesus, and then at an early age to start following Jesus without some sort of sex, drugs, and rock and roll story, that shows the power of God. Just as much as the person who's strung out who turns. There is no story that Jesus has authored that is boring or that you should be ashamed of. So tell them yours. And then fourth, Be equipped to make disciples. There are some of us, even here today, who think, 
I heard about those missionaries that went. I think maybe God is calling me to do that. As a church, we want to help equip you to do that. And so if a vocational ministry or mission work or just going somewhere, maybe it's even keeping your same job but being transferred to a place like uh, uh, Zimbabwe or whatever it looks like, we want to help equip you to do that. Whatever your next step, we want to help you take that next step. And the way that you can signify that to us so we can partner with you is that next steps card. You can fill that out, drop it in the metal boxes that you, as you leave, or swing it by direct and connect. We, oh, we want you to know so bad that Jesus loves you so much. And Jesus loves them. And who's going to tell them? We are. And so will we bear witness? Oh, Jesus loves you guys so much. Let me pray for us. Lord, we know that you love us and that you never save us without sending us and you never send us without equipping us. And so we pray now in this moment that you would show each one of us how it is that you've loved us, that you've called us to be yours, that you've called us to use the resources you've given to us to be about your mission. We pray that we would be a church of missionaries, recognizing North Phoenix as well as all the different places you have us around the world as your domain, full of people who need to know your love. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of it. Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen.